beneficial for you either way, either way. Uh, if you would please turn open to Psalm chapter 78. Psalm 78. If you are familiar with the Psalms, then you know Psalm 78 is a long one. 72 verses and no sermon notes. Trip, uh, tri typical, typical, typical. But dad, I should say, you're going to listen to this sermon and you're going to like it. All 72 verses. And we're not going to do all 72. We're going to read the first eight verses but, uh, and, then, and then summarize the rest. But this is uh, a, a kind of leaning into dads. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's true and it's fitting. When we do Mother's Day, we want to nurture and encourage and cherish. Father's Day, we're bringing a bat and an axe. <laughs> and hammers, we're busting something up, that's what we're doing, because dads do that, that's the same way, when you go to a, a ladies retreat or conference, it's like, oh, just, just God is so good, and you're cherished, it's just great, you go to a men's conference, it's like, guys, get your act together, all right, come on, stop being so lazy, do what you're supposed to do, that's a little synopsis of the two. <laughs> So I won't bash too much dads, but we're gonna this we're gonna celebrate the gospel. We're gonna celebrate uh, the gospel because the gospel is evident in the Old Testament as well as in the New, and we want to cherish uh, the gospel transference that God wants to happen within families. God celebrates, and we should celebrate the gospel power being passed on from generation to generation, and that's what the first. Uh, eight verses talk about, and then the rest of the psalm is passing on that gospel. So the word of the Lord says this. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob he, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Lord, we, are, we recognize this morning that there is the temptation toward unbelief that is always close to us. There's a temptation to really wonder if you're going to be there for us, to really wonder if you really are good to us and if you really are the truth. But Lord, I ask that you, 
would remind us of your great wonders and your mighty deeds and your works in our lives that we would know and the issue would be settled. You are there and you are good and you reward those who diligently seek you. Father, I ask a blessing as we'll pray later, but I ask now for a blessing upon every dad in this room and listening that you would bless us with gospel power and it would be transferred to our children and to their children and to their children that you would use us to preserve your gospel staying power in this world to accomplish your work we love you in Jesus name we pray amen Jesus said that the the gates of hell attack the church. And we know that in our experiences, in our lives. But the gospel has staying power, no matter what the circumstances from hell, that will seek to thwart God's plan to save the lost and gather a people for himself. The gospel is powerful. Amen? The gospel is powerful and it prevails against the gates of hell. So whenever we're tempted to believe that, that maybe the, the gates of hell are a little more powerful, we have to be reminded the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this psalm, and we find in the Old Testament, as well as in, there's an underpinning of generational faithfulness that provides the path for the gospel's power. God has ordained and he wants that the gospel in its power is transferred in homes, within the family, from one generation to the next. What has been passed from prior generations gets passed to future generations. And, and look, we have to just highlight children yet unborn. God has a plan for those in the womb. He has a plan for them to know the gospel power. So we cherish children in the womb. Now, the role of fathers is crucial in this generational faithfulness. The gospel is to be passed on within families and churches, so it will continue to prove powerful in coming generations. Now here's some statistics about dads, some sobering statistics. Uh, I, I came across this, it hasn't been true for us, and our attendance here today is testimony and evidence of that, but Father's Day, typically in churches, is one of the least attended Sundays of the year. Like in the bottom three. With Labor Day, people miss over Labor Day because they go uh, out of town possibly. And Fourth of July, if it's on a weekend, Memorial Day. Father's Day's down there. Mother's Day, on the other hand, Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day. High, most attended church services of the year. And it's fitting because moms... Like my children can't tell me no. So they're going to come to church with me today. Mm-hmm. Dad's like, I'm taking the day off. Because that's what we do. Moms are all about the children, wanting them to know God. Dad's like, hmm, a nap? I'll take that. That'll work for me. But here, let me give these sobering statistics. 2%, remember 2%. A mom who goes to church regularly and brings her children, and her husband does not attend regularly with her, only 2% of her children 
will attend church regularly as adults. Dads who attend church regularly with their families, 65 to 75% of his children will attend church regularly when they're adults. That's powerful. You know, several years ago, I was really stunned by the fact that as fathers, we bear a name of God himself. And that's powerful. Remember at a, a conference one time, Pastor John Piper said, we, and this is, this is huge, we are, as dads, we are God to our children for a season. That's right. So whether, and that's, whether we are abdicating and giving up and neglecting our responsibility or, or, or uh, attaining and trying to be faithful with that responsibility, we have tremendous effect in the lives of our children, the lives of our families. So dads carry an enormous weight. Now what we are in tune with is that we carry that enormous weight in seeking to work for and provide for our families. But listen, dads, Providing your family with their their most comfortable and opportunity of life experiences, those are great, and that's admirable to work hard for that. But if we raise children that don't have gospel power affecting their hearts and their minds every single day, we're not faithful with the responsibility that God's given us. We are to pass on gospel in its power. You know, the gospel is only three generations away from apostasy. The first generation that experiences salvation embraces the gospel and it's in its life to them. See, but then the second generation begins to assume the gospel. They have not embraced it. They only assume, only have a mental assent of what it is. And the third generation abandons the gospel. Now, the gospel prevails. But here's what I would like for us to think about today. May the gospel's power transfer through us because of us, not in spite of us. May God have reason in our faithfulness to say, I am am pleased, well done, good and faithful servant. I am pleased with the gospel power in you and being transferred through you. May may we not be found that God would have to say, I'm going to have to figure out another way, or I have have another way because you're being just too disobedient right now. May may God go forward because of us. The gospel transferred because of us, not in spite of us. Now what we see, I think uh, three big captions in these first eight verses, but really over the whole of the, the psalm, is gospel engagement gospel activity, and then gospel reality. There's a gospel engagement that we see. Look in verse 3. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. There's a a grabbing on to, there's a hearing and a knowing. There's a a faithful witness that has passed it it on. And we, we as, as Christians, we need trusted sources that we go to for gospel understanding. We have trusted sources, but I'm reminded even in the New Testament what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, 
a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in, uh, dwells in you as well. Look, generational faithfulness. And take hope, moms and grandmoms. This is Timothy. His, his, his name's a, a lot in the Bible. And his mom and his grandmother passed that on to him. So there is a, a hearing and a transferring, but there's also a knowing. And I think this refers to a personal ownership that we have, we engage with the gospel in a reality that affects our lives. We go from hearing about God to experiencing God, similar to what Job's experience was. Remember when Job suffers uh, greater than most any of us have ever known suffering. He then gets, he's, he's interacting with his friends, the whole book, he's interacting. If I could just have an audience with God to say, why did you do this? Well, he finally gets that audience when God responds in the whirlwind, starts asking him question after question. He said, stand up and be a man. You answer me. How about I question you? You give me some answers on, on where were you when I created all of this? Now, after all of that time, Job gets the last chapter of Job. He says this. He find, before this, he says, I'm, I'm, I think it's wise for me to zip my mouth shut. I'm not going to talk anymore. He says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. There's a knowing, there's an experience that he lacked that God wanted him to have. Now, little caveat, God uses suffering to get us to know him, to see him. That was the purpose behind that. So, but Job moved from, a, he moved from a, a, a hearing to an experience, to a knowing. And we need to discern the difference in our own lives between knowing God or simply knowing about God. So here's a, a good way to figure that out. If you have just a knowledge about God or whether we know him deep inside of who we are. If we, if, if knowing God moves past being irritated about how life affects us. When we are too consumed with how life is affecting us, we are knowing about God. And we are wondering why he is not there, attending to our needs, making life a little easier and simpler for us. But when we move past that, here's what we do. We begin to see how life affects God, not us. See, the focus is on God, not ourselves. And when our focus is on God, then we have a knowledge of him that begins to, to take over who we are, takes over our thoughts to begin to think like him. We don't get, we, we spend most of our prayers trying to get God to think like us. Rather than us say, God, I just, I, I want to know how you're responding. How, are you, how do you grieve? What's your joy? What do you find joy in? I want to find myself in those places as well. So there's a gospel engagement, especially dads. That's, a, that's why we gave you uh, that book. It's a little resource that helps posture your heart to read the word of God. This is how we know him. We know him in the word. You know, I, I bang that drum all the time because this is the reality. I confessed to my children this week. I said, you know, one, I told them I, I am thrilled to be able to be called their dad. And I think I have set a compelling example, I trust I have, on what, what a life devoted to Jesus looks like. And the effect of the gospel in my heart, I think they see that. 
I think that's, that's been admirable for them. But I said, here's what I, what I struggle with is I don't think I have, don't think I've, I've explained the word enough to you. Because sadly, I, sadly, I, I think I'm on my 18th time reading through the scriptures. And I don't know them well enough. Because they're so deep. And the heart of God is all over the place. And the more that I learn, I think, oh, I've, you know, my kids are growing up and I don't have these moments to be able to say, oh, let me show you. He's, he's so, I, they know the big stories. And it's important to know the big stories, but here is my struggle. I struggled with, I, 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 I lack the, the intentionality, I think, to show them Jesus behind all the big stories. Now the good news is, I'm not defeated by that. I know we're going to keep on bringing it up. We're going to keep on talking. We're going to keep on, going to keep on encouraging them to read the word. And we're going to keep on seeking God together. But there's an, a gospel engagement that needs to be taking place in every one of our hearts where we know God and we know him in his word. Then there's a gospel activity that we see when, when here Asaph is saying, give ear of my people to my teaching, incline your ears, I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings from of old. Look, we will not hide them, verse 4, we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation. What do we, there's giving voice to God's activity. Gospel activity is giving voice and explanation and understanding to what God is doing in the activity of his powerful gospel moving forward. And he says in verse four, or verse five rather, he established a testimony in Jacob. This testimony, is an, it's an, any type of testimony. It's an affirmation of God's revelation. We are saying, here's what God did, and it was glorious. Now what he begins to explain all from verses nine all through 72, here's the synopsis. Here's what he's saying. God moved mightily to save. God moved mightily to rescue you from slavery in Egypt. And God moved mightily to, to, to rescue you from the judgment waters of the Red Sea, opening them up so you could walk through. And then God moved mightily to provide for you manna every morning. And then when you wanted meat, he gave you meat. But you were a little stubborn, so he needed to bring a a plague to, to discipline you. But there's God's activity to save and rescue and provide. He's also describing a gracious faithfulness of God in the face of his people's unbelief. And can we pause a moment to reflect on how God is patient with us and he is faithful with us in the midst of our unbelief. We struggle with unbelief more than we think. And God is gracious in his faithfulness to us. He is patient with us, wanting us to come. And he's just, he's telling us over and over again, trust me, trust me. But it's also stories of God disciplining his children as their father. When he brought discipline to them because of their unbelief, because of their uh, the stubborn rebellion that they had going on in them. The, the story is, but God was disciplining us. See, when we have testimonies in our own life, everybody has testimonies in these categories. We have testimonies of God's activity to save and rescue and provide for us. We have testimonies of God's faithfulness in the face of our unbelief. And we have testimony of his disciplining us as our heavenly father. 
Now here's what we need to do. We need to give voice to those. We need to write them down. We need to express them. We actually want to do that next Sunday. So if God has given you a testimony in Enemies and something's coming to mind, I'm really asking that you would please write it down, email it to me, and let's discuss, yes, you getting up here and sharing it. Because we need to give voice. The gospel's too, fa- too powerful to, to keep silent. We have to give voice, and that's God's plan. He wants, he wants the, the power to be known through our voices. And then he says, he appointed a law in Israel. If you think back to the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, it was called the Ark of the Testimony. So God, in God's uh, visible presence, the place of his presence, the footstool from his throne in heaven, his feet come down, that's the place that he's on the earth, wherever that that Ark of the Covenant is, uh, on the mercy seat, inside. Remember what was inside? The Ten Commandments, which were also called the Tablets of Testimony. But God is using all of that to say, here, I'm, I'm affirming my revelation. Here's the revelation of who I am. And we affirm that with that testimony. And God says he appointed a law, but both the law and the testimony go together because the law was to preserve the testimony. The law reveals God's righteousness. And the law, obedience to the law, secures our joy. It's, that, it's a guardrail for us. You know, when you go... Uh, when you see a fenced-in yard, it's usually because they want to keep something in. Not, a lot of times we see that it's to keep other things out, but when God sets up his law, he says, obey these things and you'll stay in my joy. When you venture outside of the guardrail, you're not going to have the joy that you want. So you're going to find, you're going to try to find joy in this and joy in this and joy in this and joy in this, and it's never going to satisfy you because here's the joy that you need. Stay in here. How do we stay in the guardrails? Obey the law. Obey the moral revelation of God's righteousness, and we will secure, be secured in our joy. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells that to the Galatian church. He says the, two, the, the law for him was a, a guardian, a tutor, so he would understand Jesus better and understand faith in Christ as he was revealed. So we have voice to the testimony within the obedience of the law. Why? To give hope. Look, verse verse 6 and 7. That the next generation might know them. Know what? Know the mighty deeds in the testimony and the law. Children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Understand this, remembering the works of God in our lives preserves hope in God. We have, to be, we have to remind ourselves of what God has done. We have to remind ourselves, God, you did come through. You did rescue. You did provide. All right, I trust you more. I trust that you'll continue to provide. But it's a giving of hope, and, and it's a knowing, a knowing a big God whose glorious deeds and mighty wonders are still unfathomable and we can, we can seek them and, and get lost in them. But it's also making a big God known. We want to know a big God and we want to make that big God known. 
We also want this hope to rescue ourselves. We want this hope to rescue our children from false hopes. From ease. Just seeing, seeing ease and fame and love as the most important realities to go for in life. If I could say a word to our young people. Internet fame is false. Internet fame will have you chasing air. And you'll be irritated and frustrated and have no idea why. Chasing an easy life that's void of, that's, that doesn't have any work, hard labor work associated with it is a false hope. You know, young people, you, you have, you've grown up, probably you have, well provided for. Your parents, you know, if, I think this statistic is still true, it's about five years old. If you make more than $65,000 a year, then you make more of 95% of the world's population. But in our minds, we look at other people that have more, and like, man, if I just had a little more. More is a false hope. Love that is not grounded in God is a false hope. It's chasing emotions, and emotions are so erratic. Please, young people, run from false hopes and trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Now, dads, our commission as fathers is to be able to run with God and for God in such a way that it gives a hope. Now, look, we want to provide. We want to work hard and provide but here's the main reality of what God wants us to do. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When our children rise up in life, in adulthood, what will they say about our homes? Dads, we want them to know we worked really hard, but we don't want them to only know that we worked really hard. But they would know we engaged with them. We engaged with the gospel with them and sought to lead and guide them in hope. Now this gospel activity turns into and includes a gospel reality. Gospel, <clears throat> we find in this psalm, being, being, a gospel reality is being honest with the reality of walking out the gospel's power and the difficulty of walking out the gospel's power. This song is a psalm of realities in the, the little heading at the first. It says a mascal, 
of Asaph, uh, a maskil was a song that taught something, kind of like nursery rhymes. You know, if you look some, up some of those nursery rhymes, they have really dark meanings. Like, why do we sing Rockabye Baby when the baby falls out of a tree to put a, to put a baby to sleep as if that's, I'm going to sleep now. That's weird. We're some weird creatures. Uh, London Bridge is falling down. That's a weird one. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That's about death. Crazy stuff. Those are mascals. That's what this psalm would be. But I think what we find uh, in the gospel reality is, one, we need to be honest with the struggle to obey God. It's a struggle. Christian life's a struggle. And our children need to be able to see that. They need to be able to see, see us struggle and, and be honest with that struggle. But remember, not, not questioning the hope we have, but honest with the struggle to see that hope. We have to be honest with our own stubborn rebellion. Honest with when we have disobeyed God and he needed to discipline us. So there's a gospel reality of struggle. There's also a gospel reality that our children need to see, and that's in surrender. And surrender specifically to the king of kings. If you look at the end of the psalm, verses 70 to 72. Here's the culmination of all of this, and it's the most important part in the psalm. And it comes at the very end. Verse 70, he chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfold, from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. The psalm ends with, we needed a king, and God gave us a king. You know what that means for us? Our stubborn, rebellious, wandering hearts, they need a king. But he's given us that king, and that king is Jesus. And that king is glorious, and he's mighty, and he reigns, and he rules over all things. And at his word, everything obeys. Now, what we have as dads, may our children see that we obey him. We obey his word. We struggle to listen. But when we listen, we hear him, and we obey him. Because he's worthy. The king is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of every thought. He's worthy of every motivation. He's worthy of every action. The king is worthy. And he calls us to obedience in that worth. I think dads who are submitted to the preeminent Christ will pass on the gospel in power. Not just in word or thought, but in power. The gospel reality is a struggle, but we, we find... When we surrender to the king of kings, then we are, we're finding the soul of who we're looking to pass this on to. And we need to shoot for the right target, and the target is the soul. The target's not uh, a particular house or toys or uh, income. The target for us, dads, is the soul of our children. And we need to provide them what no moth or rust can destroy or thief can steal. But something that stays. It's the staying power that they will then have the motivation to pass on to their children. Kevin DeYoung, 
uh, is a pastor in North Carolina, and he wrote a, he's got a, a blog that he does, and he wrote this this past week from an article. He said, I understand that being a good parent does not guarantee believing children. I understand that many couples will be unable to have all the children they want to have. We have to allow for God to work in mysterious ways that we would not have planned. And yet, insofar as we are able, let us welcome new life and give our children that best opportunity for new birth. Presidents and Supreme Court justices will come and go. A child's soul will last forever. Parents, church, the destiny of the future does not take place in a voting box. It takes place in our homes. It takes place as we love our children into Christ. And then they love him and go from hearing, because they need to hear, they need to hear, and then they know in an experience, and then they say, oh, this is so lovely, and this is life, I want to pass this on to my children as well. Providing what no moth or rust can destroy, what no thief can break in and steal, because it's God's. So what do we do? Actually, the conclusion is verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. How do we do this? We listen to God. We listen to the faithful, generational faithfulness passing the gospel in power to us, and we transfer it to the next. We incline our ear. We need to lean into God's plan for gospel transference. Here's, what, here's the promise that we have. We have a heavenly Father that knows how to give good gifts. And what's the best gift that he gives? Luke 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, Jesus in that parable is saying, look, when you come and you're asking for all of these, can I, he's pointing out the fatherly uh, influence if your child asks you for, I'm getting him mixed up. If he asks you for an egg, you're not getting him a viper. You're not going to do that. Now, there are evil dads who do that, and it's just, it's evil, and it's wrong. But for the most part, dads know how to give good gifts. And he's saying, God, your heavenly Father, he gives you the best gifts. He doesn't give you the, the, what we think is the most necessary and needed is the provision that we have in our lives. He says, no, he gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you something that can never be taken away from you, that lives inside of you, so resurrection life and resurrection power abide and they stay with us. The dad.